Welcome to the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. This is your host, Dave Stovall. In today's episode, Dave Beering of LionShare talks about the concept of discipline and spiritual growth. He emphasizes the importance of letting go of our personal rights and desires while embracing the teachings and the guidance of Jesus. He compares this to a physical action of opening up our palms to signify surrendering control. It's important that we surrender this control of our lives as a method of discipleship and as a way of just simply trusting and obeying God. Let's listen to Dave today as he challenges us to do this with our lives and to embrace Jesus' method of discipleship. Enjoy the episode. All right, here's what we want to talk about. If you weren't in our first session, I just preface it by saying part of the way that we chose the sessions for this was what are topics in discipleship that are really essential right now that oftentimes are not covered? And one of them we talked about in our first session today, hearing the voice of God. Tomorrow we'll talk about spiritual warfare in the morning. But another one that I have bumped into a lot is this. And when I was 18 years old and I graduated from high school, was going to go into television broadcasting and instead went to Youth of the Mission, was going to be there for a year, then go back to school. I ended up there seven years being discipled there and poured into there. And this was one of the messages when I was an 18-year-old that impacted me very deeply. And the whole idea of how we subtly carry around rights. I remember being challenged with this. And this is a session that I do pretty often with different groups of people. Like last week, I was with Youth of the Mission in Pittsburgh with young missionaries going to the nations. And so the context for them of relinquishing rights was a huge thing of what are rights that I'm hanging on to in my life that hinders me. And so let me just show you this question, because this is really the spirit of it. Are we free to follow Jesus in obedience? Or is there certain things that we're hanging on to so tight? I'll go, Jesus, if you let me take this, or you let me have that. And it's like we said in our first session, there was an old phrase I really liked, if Jesus is not Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all. And so it's really kind of a lordship message, a lordship teaching. And the way I want to just do this with you is often how I will present it with, like last week, for example, we won't have the time for this, but you can make time in your own heart, in your own home, if you want to tonight. Usually what I do when I'm done with this is we kind of make something an altar. So last week at YM, they had a little stage that was about, you know, this long of the room. And we said, okay, this is now an altar. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is take these dozen rights we've talked about And if you say, hey, there's eight of them I need to lay down, I want you to take out a piece of paper, rip it into eight pieces and put one right on each paper. So tonight you can come up here and lay that down. And to drive a stake in in the ground saying, I know this night I laid it down. I said, will it sneak back in your hands? Of course it will. But you need to know that there was a time that you laid it down so you can say, God, I give it to you again. Okay. Sometimes uh, one of the rights you'll see is laying down the rights to our opinions. You'll see that one here shortly. That's one I sometimes forget when Friday nights, my wife and I don't have anything planned, that's often a date night for us. And so I can come home and my leadership style is such that I really value hearing from my team or others that may be involved in it. So I can kind of see, not just with my own eyes, but with theirs, and then try to listen to the Lord alone and with them to discern, okay, God, what are you saying? Sometimes I forget to take my leadership hat off when I walk in the house and I say, so hun, what do you want to do tonight? And she might say, How about if we just uh, go out to eat and stroll the mall? 
And I might say, or there's the high school football game down the street, or there is the movie, or, and she'll look at me and say, why can't we just do what I suggested? And I said, you know, let's go get in the car and do that now. The mall can hardly, you know, and Cheryl's not a buyer. She's a looker, you know, with a cup of coffee. And she just likes it to sometimes just to stroll. And that's where I have to realize I need to lay, I needed to lay down my right to my opinion and just serve what, cause I asked her, what do you want to do tonight? So she already told me. So I didn't need to say, there's this and there's, and sometimes that causes me to ri- remind myself, yeah, I need to lay that down. Not that important. What's more important is being with her tonight. Okay. So we'll talk about that one, but I just want us to kind of recognize the source of this. So this is really based out of Philippians 2. Check this out. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. So I just want us to kind of recognize and see that Jesus, if like when we're talking about relinquishing our rights, nobody had to relinquish more ever, ever. So, I mean, it's, it's minuscule compared to what he had to do. And while I was walking through this as a young man, I, so I'm just going to kind of be blunt and tell you kind of how it hit me. The only right I deserve is to spend an eternity away from God. That's it. So once I realized that I don't have to worry about that anymore because what Jesus has done for me, everything is a gift. So when I roll over in the morning and see Cheryl on the pillow, that's a gift. When I get to be here with you today, it's a gift. When I get to go to serve people in another nation, it's a gift. It's not something I've earned. It's not something I've deserved. It's something I've been given to steward. So here's the grasping. Here's the stewarding. And if we don't function in this way in our lives, we can subtly become entitlement driven. I'm owed this. We are owed nothing except hell. It's like, that's the reality of it. But because of Jesus, I just don't have to worry about that anymore. So the reality is it's gratitude. It's these are gifts to me to steward and to be grateful for. They're not something to take and grasp and drive with. Relinquishing one's rights does not, just to start with this, does not mean a lack of caring or taking responsibility for the people and things that are in our lives. All right. The purpose of surrendering rights is to not become, is not to become irresponsible. It's about having an attitude that's free to follow Jesus and obedience, living a palms up lifestyle. Okay. So the things we're talking about doesn't mean, oh, I'm going home, not being responsible with any, and that's not what we're talking about. It's an attitude of heart. Okay, and remember we read in Philippians, have this attitude amongst yourselves that was in Christ Jesus. Okay, so here's what I want to do. I want to just go through them tonight with you. And I'm going to show you just briefly a passage of how Jesus responded to these same things. Okay, so the first one is family. Relinquishing our rights to family. All right. When I was 19 years old and my brother was 17 years old, he came over to Hawaii to youth of the mission where I was. He's going to go to his discipleship training school, but he came over early. About the fifth of seven days that he was there, I got up one morning and as I was going to the bathroom, said good morning. And he looked at me and said, Dave, I can't get up. I said, what do you mean? You can't, are you tired from basketball? No, he said, I can't get up. So I had to literally physically help him up. He went to the bathroom. He laid down. I came back 
about dinner time because I said, Tom, I got to go do a few things. You just lay low, whatever. And, and Tom said, I'm not doing good. So I went to a, a guy from Wales who's at the YOM base, who's a doctor and said, Hey, can you come and check my brother out? So he did. And he just said, I think you should run him up to Kona hospital. You know, it was about 15 minutes away. And he said, I don't know if he's got mono or what, let's just, let's check it out. Long story short is the next morning I call up to the hospital because I hadn't heard from them. And I said, Hey, Dave Buring looking for, oh, we're glad you, you called. Hey, just a minute. And they said, Hey, Tom couldn't tell us where you were. They said, Dave, we need to tell you, Tom has diabetes and he's on the verge of a diabetic coma. He's, they said, blood sugar should be about 70 to 110. His is 1400. And they said, can you please come up here? So I quick called my mom and dad who were in California at the time, and uh, let them know. I went up to the hospital, looked at Tom in the bed, and he was physically, you know, shaking, had stuff in all over. And the only way we could communicate was a yes with one squeeze and a two with no. And they told me, they said, Dave, we need to get him to Queens Medical on Oahu, which is kind of the medical center for the Pacific, because his blood sugar is hitting 2,000. And so we need to get him over there. So they're going to fly him via air ambulance. You can get over there via Hawaiian air. And about three, four hours later, we met there in the hospital. And I walked in and there was probably three doctors and four nurses around Tom. And one of the doctors came out of the room and he said, if your brother makes it, he will probably be a vegetable. So you just need to begin to prepare your family for this. You know, YWAMers, you know, this was 1979. So before a lot of the kind of communication we have, but they started calling people around the world to pray. And they sent a, a towel per book of Acts where they'd laid hands on and prayed for Tom saying, said, would you just put this on Tom since we can't physically be there? And so we'd begin to do those things. But Sunday morning, I walk in and Tom sitting up in bed and said, hey, Dave. And I'm looking at him and they said, yeah, his blood sugar is down to 800. And he was fully in his right mind. And we had this huge conversation and he said, they tell me I have diabetes. I said, yeah, Tom, you are not good. And my mom and dad couldn't make it over because there was an airport strike where like people who did the cleaning, the bathrooms, the, I mean, it was a disaster in the Honolulu airport and it got solved Sunday night. So they flew over Monday. So they never got to see all of that. But Tom was moving out of intensive care into his room as I went to pick them up. And, but I want you just to think of what my parents had to go through. And they would tell you that they had to relinquish their rights to their son, one of two. And in the midst of all that, the Lord spoke to them out of the scriptures that this sickness is not unto death. And so they stood on that. I remember sitting in the hospital in, in the, the waiting area by myself thinking, what would it be like? I was 19 and I was thinking, what would it be like to tell people I used to have a brother? So, I mean, we were all kind of going to, you know, but saying, God, we give this back to you. At that time, the Lord was teaching me to praise him in the midst of everything. So I was doing that the best I could. Mom and dad were there relinquishing their rights. Tom today is 62, still has diabetes. He's one of CBN's key sports reporters. So he does all the testimony of athletes that have come to Jesus. He's a husband, a dad, two grandkids, and he still takes his shots. But God did a work. But in the midst of it, we had to relinquish rights to family. Another relinquishing rights to family is if you're single in this room, is the right to be married. I remember the night I was 18 years of age and I went up and said, hey, I need the power of the Holy Spirit. And someone said, hey, Dave, they knew me. They said, have you relinquished the rights to television, pursuing that, and have you relinquished the right to being married? I said, I have not. And they said, would you like to do that tonight? I said, I would. And I remember, just God, I, I lay it all down. Whatever rights you don't relinquish, tend to be the things that drive you. 
So instead of you being led by obedience, we're driven by these things. So if we're single and haven't relinquished the right to marriage, every good-looking woman or man who loves Jesus becomes the next potential. See? So relinquishing rights to family. We see Jesus, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside asking to speak to him, but he replied to the man who told him, who's my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother, sister, mother. Now he didn't do this to cause offense at all to them, but he was just talking about the kingdom. There's something even broader than your own family. Okay. So Jesus understood this dynamic. How about this one? Friends, relinquishing rights to friends. Are there things we would not do because of the voice of people in our lives? Their opinion is so strong. The connection is so deep that we would not be willing to do something Jesus might ask us to do. All right. We see with Jesus, you know, in the garden at the moment they, he needed them and they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. They seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked, probably thinking it was Mark, the author of Mark. But it's like they all fled and left him. Jesus knew what it was like to, in that moment when he could have used some friends, they were gone. All right. He had to relinquish his rights to being comforted by other people in that moment. All right. Are there friends in our lives that we so grasp onto that it could hinder us from being obedient to Jesus? Finances and possessions. Usually I would load these with more stories, but just for the sake of time, I want to give you a sense of this for you. You know, make this personal for you because as you begin to apply this, you'll see how it's valid, valued as you, and those you disciple. Finances and possessions. All right. What about what was Jesus's deal on this? Jesus said to them, foxes have holes, birds of the ears have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. All right. So when you look at this whole area of finances, is there something Hey, Lord, I'll serve you as long as I have a hundred grand in the bank. Lord, I will serve you as long as you let me have, you know, is there anything in your, is there any possession you have that has you, that owns you, that you wouldn't be willing to say, God, I just, I lay this down. I, I want to be palms up and open. I don't want to be grasping onto it. In the culture that we live in, this can be a really subtle snare for us. Cheryl and I, at one point in our marriage, when we were missionaries, our support was $350 a month. And one night she wanted to go up to what was called the captain's porthole, which is our, on the YWAM base in Kona was our little store where you can go get chips and some candy and some sodas and that kind of thing. And I said, let's see what we got. And we pulled out, literally all we had was coins. We got an ice cube tray and each ice cube tray became, I don't know, 10 cents or 50 cents or whatever. And the good news was at the end of the tray, it was like, Hey, there's enough here. Go, you know? And you get used to as a missionary going, look at how God provided. You needed 50 cents. So we had a dollar 50. He provided even more, right? But this is a, this can be a real snare to us. So it's like a question is, have I relinquished? If God said, give this away, would I be willing to give this away? Or is it so attached to me that I'd be stuck? Okay. How about this one? Popularity and reputation. Popularity and reputation. Jesus dealt with it this way. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying he's possessed by Beelzebub and by the prince of demons, he casts out the demons. Here it is, the Messiah, and they, they're, they're assigning this to him. And so Jesus knew there wasn't a, a, a place of popularity like he had at the beginning of his ministry as, as the three years were kind of coming to an end for him. But popularity, I mean, the subtleties of our whole, now maybe this may not be for you, but for a lot of people, 
the measuring of value based on the likes on Facebook. I've seen grown women become like junior hires on Facebook because they saw everybody else was invited to the party and I wasn't. And I've seen just the collapse of things inside. If our whole identity is tied to our likes, we're in trouble, right? And there's times, like those of you that are pastors, you know, every time you get up in the pulpit, if you're going to walk in the fear of the Lord, you know, you're going to stay, say things that are going to step on people's toes. And, you know, nobody likes that, you know, but to be true to what God's telling you to do, there's times you say things, but if we recoil because I don't want, you know, to not be popular or what about my reputation? And there's times that you put your reputation on the line for somebody else, for the sake of the gospel, that might get you in trouble because you identified with them or you took care of them or you stepped into because you understood this situation to rescue him. Like the youth pastor who walked into an R-rated movie to take out one of his young women in there because she was on a date and he had said, hey, if you're ever in an odd situation, you're welcome to call me. And as he went into that movie theater just to help this young lady get out of there, an elder happens to drive by and goes, oh my gosh, there's our youth pastor going into an R-rated movie. Of course, it all got squared away later, but in the moment, he had to not care what anybody thought to step in to be a man of his word to help this young girl in his youth group. See, there's times like that we have to step into things. We have to lay aside our reputation, all right, and popularity. Now, these are going to start getting more pointed. Time. Relinquishing rights to time. Did you, have you ever thought about that when Jesus becomes the Lord of your life, the Lord of time also asks you to give you your time, give him your time. See, there's times for me that I wish I could just kind of hibernate, but I can't because the Lord said, no, I want you to do this. I remember teaching on this in Rochester, New York, a number of years ago, and I went to sit down in the back as the group, the leadership team there was responding to this, going to the altar and that kind of thing. I remember sitting back there and the Lord said to me, will you give me your time? And I had done that over the years, but you know, there's a re-upping sometimes. And now in my life, having four grandchildren, I don't like to miss their games. And there's times I'm getting on the, on flights and people wouldn't notice, but there's, I'm fighting tears because I don't want to miss this or that or the other thing. But the Lord said this to me, said, if you give me your time and be obedient to what I asked you to do, I will make sure that you have the time to do the things that are valuable to you. And I got to tell you, he's been a hundred percent faithful, hundred percent. It's unbelievable having to turn that over to the Lord. Look at Jesus here. He withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. He had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. The day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. We see the miracle of the feeding, right? At the beginning of this, Jesus was just alone. And we have to realize that there are times where God will require time from us because he wants to move through you to touch somebody else's life. I realize that every time I travel and Cheryl's not with me, she's relinquishing her rights to time as well. See, and, but it's, can, we, can I just tell you, God is, he's amazing how he makes up for it. And, he, and the things that I could tell you that he's allowed us to do with our kids and our grand, I'm so grateful because he's made sure as I've yielded, okay? But is time something you hang a little too tight on? 
Again, I told you these are going to get a little closer. Food, shelter, sleep, and comfort. You know, when you go on a missions trip and you go into someone else's territory, the food is not the same as what you're used to. Okay, the, the shelter, the, the environment you're around, the bed you're sleeping in, the sounds around you, you know. And, and then the, there's the comfort thing. As Americans, the comfort's a, comfort one's a big deal. And there's sometimes you have to relinquish your rights to comfort so you can be obedient to what Jesus is asking you to do. Is it, I'm, am I saying this stuff is, you know, easy peasy? Not at all. Sometimes it's just really hard. But the attitude is this, not this. Lord, for the sake of you and your kingdom, for the sake of you and your kingdom. And I, there's times I just have to do that. Even when I go on trips, I have to prepare my heart this way and say, God, I know these things are not going to be there. So I just lay that down. And I ask you for the grace that I need for that moment. And he's always faithful, right? You know, I, I'm going on this next trip. It's 28 and a half hour flight, you know, to get there. And I'm traveling with a, a friend of mine who's never done. I said, what do you do for 28 and a half hours? You know, one of the legs is 14 and a half hours nonstop. Chicago to Doha Cutter. And, you know, I said, Kevin, you can't, you can't really except generally prepare for it. I said, just know that when you get there, you'll have grace for it. When you step on the plane, the grace is there. Have you ever noticed God only gives you grace for what you need at the moment? He doesn't give you future grace now. That's why it's never good. To, that's why be anxious for nothing. Because you get anxious for, yeah, but what happens if we're not there? So we don't need it. But when you're there, you get it. Okay. And so that's where for me on a trip like this, it's realized, okay, once I get on the plane, God's grace will be there. And it doesn't feel like 79 hours, you know, here we see Jesus was led up by the spirit in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. So we see Jesus relinquishing here, the whole food thing for fasting. Position, influence, career, gifts, and ministry. Okay, let me show you this Jesus here. He did not consider equality with God positionally something to be grasped. All right. Position, influence, career, gifts, and ministry. There's been a couple times now in my life where the Lord has had me lay down um, position, influence, career. When I was in Youth of the Mission, I married Cheryl. We kind of thought we'd be YWAMers for life. But then the Lord said, no, it's time for you to leave after seven years. And the world was just opening up to so many different opportunities with the youth we were doing. And the Lord said, no, your time is done. And I remember weeping as I had to leave. But I just, it was part of it was God. I just lay it down. I was 25. What did I know? Right. And what did I know that he wanted to add to my life in the next leg of the journey? And then there was a time I was a senior pastor of a church here. And the Lord said, I want you to lay that down and I want you to merge with this church. Okay. So there's times the Lord will test this. I remember one time when I was in Estes Park, Colorado, and we were serving a church of about 100, 120 up in Minnesota. I was the missions pastor and the youth pastor. And my dad had planted and he came to me and said, would you ever consider this panel? We'll enter standby. So Darren, what do you think we need to do here? Just that. And my dad had come to me and said, Dave, would you consider being the pastor of this church. I was at the time maybe 28 years old. And I, you know, down the road in the next few years, would you become, and I just thought, nah, I don't. So I'm in Estes Park and I'm having my devotions. And it was this little chapel that was about the half of the size of this room, but the outside looked like a real deal chapel. It was what really cool with stone and all kinds of things. And I remember the Lord really dealing with my heart that morning. And he said to me, are you willing? I just was filthy and pressing in on me like he was wanting me to. I said, Lord, I'm willing. 
And I remember getting up out of that room feeling like, okay, I guess we're going to be living in Northern Minnesota for the next couple decades. And like, I had so set my heart after lunch that day, this is about six hours later, my friend, Steve Fry, who pastors over here at the gate, Steve said, Hey, can we walk? So we take a walk. He said, Hey, would you be open to being the national director for the U S and Canada for messenger, which was a missions mobilizing. And I'm looking at him and I go, Steve, you don't believe what just happened to me six hours ago. What are you talking about? I ended up taking that role, realizing after several months of chewing on it, the Lord was just making sure where my heart was before he let that opportunity come my way, that I would seek him on it and not just say, yes, see, is there anything where God's asking, are you hanging on a little too tight? This is my position. This is the sphere of influence that I have. This is, you know, there'll come a time for me leading lion's share that I will need to lay it down. Something I had the privilege of founding with Cheryl, and I will need to lay that down. Okay, am I going to lay that down or am I going to look to kind of, I'm laying it down with this hand, but this hand, you, know, you can't do that. It'll screw up the organization. It'll screw up people, right? There's times the Lord will challenge us. How about just your gifts in your ministry? If you understand, right, your gifts are there for God to put into motion when he wants, not when you want. It's laying our rights down to not be heard, to not be like, there was times for me with my leadership and public communications, my strengths and gifts. And I had to learn that in leader meetings to just sometimes be quiet when I was with fellow leaders, because I, you know, as a leader, I'm always, I got a thought. It's like, I'm not lacking opinions. Those of you that are leaders know what I'm talking about. You're not lacking opinions, right? But I had to learn that. And I would say, Lord, I'm not going to open my mouth on this. And that unless the leader calls on me and it was a 50, 50 half the times I got called on half the times I did not. But that was my yielding it to him. So I just didn't charge him with my idea. But I had to relinquish my rights to just give my opinion on that. Right? That was, that's part of this. Okay? So Jesus understands that. Nationality and denomination. You know, we, we all have our historical nationalities as a family member. You know, and sometimes we can make excuses, right? With our, you know, as an Italian, hey, we're just loud. Or if we're Irish, hey, we're just hot-tempered. Or, we're, you know, we can do what, you know, say whatever our heritages are, right? And the thing that we have to celebrate is God made you that way. So it's worth celebrating. It's understanding the value of that. All right? Like God actually loves diversity. He made it. So we've got to love it too and realize why it's valuable to him and why it's valuable to each other and how we need each other. And then there's our denomination. You know, for some of us, it's like, we, we view the rest of the body of Christ with a little suspicion. Oh, you know what? They raise their hands and worship over there, you know? And we have to instead, I think a more biblical view is like a team. If you look at the scoreboard, when that church across the street that loved Jesus is just up for the kingdom, it's points for us on the scoreboard, right? And we should be the first ones to cheer them on and say, hey, is there any of our resources we, can, we have that can help you do that? That's the body of Christ. But if we're hanging on so tightly to our own tribe in the body of Christ, it's sometimes we have to lay it down. Cheryl and I have done that. And at times he has placed us in a church that has not been our tribe, but we've known this is where he placed us. And I thought I would, I'd never thought this would be, I didn't mean it negatively, but I would walk under the banner of this particular tribe in the body of Christ. But God said, this is where I want you. Okay. We're there. We're there wholeheartedly. But see, if you don't relinquish rights to these things, you never get the opportunities God wants to put you in because you're so tight-fisted, okay? 
Look at Jesus here. A woman from Samaria, the other team, came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaria, Samaritans. So we see Jesus, this wasn't a grasping thing for him. If you've ever seen the chosen scene of this, it's pretty awesome, all right? All right, how about this next one? Freedom, relinquishing the rights to freedom. This is one that you don't really think about until you get into a situation where, like the first time I went to Nepal, they said, hey, Dave, just so you know, you know, sometimes they come check on us and they, sometimes we have to shut our doors and if a foreigner is here, you'll usually be free to go, but we pay the penalty for it. You know, you go walking into those situations. And, you know, I mean, it's a number of years ago before Russia opened up, some YWAM folks felt like the Lord called them to go into the Soviet Union and the target audience was the KGB. And that's what they got in prayer. So they said, okay, Lord, how do you want us to do this? And, it, and this would have been in the late 60s. You know, this was not... This was not like in the open doors of the 90s. This was like hardcore stuff. I have a friend of mine that he used to take a poison pill in with him that if he got, you know, th thrown somewhere where he knew he was going to be shot and killed, he could just take this thing and within five minutes he was gone. I mean, they would do, missionaries would do that kind of thing. And, and so they said, Lord, you're sure? <laughs> like, this isn't the enemy that's speaking to us. You know, you're sure the KGB and the Lord reaffirmed to them that's, the audience, I'm, I'm going to open doors for you. So once they hurdled this, they got freedom inside. And they said, Lord, how do you want us to do this? The way the Lord had them do this from, let me just think of the years, 1991 and 95, I had 11, 11 trips in and out of Russia. We were taking short-term ministry teams over there. and It was awesome. But we'd always go through Moscow. And when you're in Moscow and you go into Red Square, you go into Lenin's tomb. Have you been? Yes. Okay. In 91. Okay. And so you... It's heavily guarded and you walk kind of down some steps and you kind of turn a corner and there literally is his glass case. And you could tell it was a little bit of a face job, you know, head job done on the air being pumped into it. And you walk out and this, that was there at that time in the sixties. And so what happened is the Lord gave them the freedom to create a big sign in Russian that said, Jesus Christ is alive and to go hold it right in front of Lenin's tomb. They had instantly instant fellowship with the KGB, right? They, you know, and they got pulled in and arrested. And so they knew. So all they could do is go, okay, Jesus, we're here. You assigned us this. You told us this. And so in the midst of it, so there was two of the guys, Dan and George, really dear friends, but what they separated them. And then they tried to lie to each other about the other. And they couldn't figure it out when they, when George said, my friend, Dan, He's just not like that. So I'm sorry, I don't believe that at all. They couldn't figure that out. And they kept going on and on and they knew they were getting, they weren't getting anywhere. So they, they had opportunity to present Jesus to them. And these guys were like, what do you, they didn't know what to do with them. So they said, get out of here. And they, they had all these tracks and they said, what do you want us to do with these? It doesn't matter. Would you just leave? Like they got kicked out of the KGB because the KGB didn't know how to deal with them. So they went all over Red Square and handed tracks out all over <laughs> unhindered. But that would have never happened if they hadn't relinquished the rights here. This would be, though, for us today to give a feel to it, is if the days that we're living in now, if, you know, your pastor walked in and say, hey, just our elders have just been fasting and pray the last three days. 
We feel like we're supposed to send a short-term team to Hamas. Who wants to go? You know what? That meeting I have, I'm moving it up. See you later. You know, it's, but that's the feeling, like to catch the emotion of that reality. Okay. And this is one, as Americans, we don't deal with a lot, but sometimes God may put you in a setting where maybe the spirit of God will remind you in that moment, hey, just do this. Because if you relinquish it on the front end, then you know grace for it in its reality. Okay. Here's Jesus on this. Well, he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man, seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Jesus said to him, friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and they seized him. He had to, re like we know Jesus could have just gone like this, right? But he relinquished so that he could do what the father had asked him to do. And it wasn't easy. Okay. All right. Here's the one we mentioned a little bit ago, opinions. I know this is probably not an issue for anybody here, but let's just kind of pretend. All right. Uh, how about this one in Jesus? Speaking of this season of his life, and the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is it these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer, relinquishing the right to give his opinion and blow them out of the water. Where in your life has your opinions caused division in relationships? Think about that a minute. Sometimes our strong opinion has so divided a family member, a friend, someone who's lost, who needs to be found, another member of the body of Christ. And sometimes it's been our opinions that has brought that effect. Where do we maybe need to say, Jesus, I, I lay down my rights to my opinions? Does it mean you, your opinions are wrong? I'm not saying that, of course not, especially if it has to do with the gospel. But have we so isolated a child because of something they have done or said or a chosen lifestyle they have that we've just isolated them completely? That the Jesus that you love, they wouldn't want to have anything to do with because of the way that they have been treated by you. Because sometimes we have to say, it doesn't mean your convictions change but it's a matter of seeing where they are. And unless we're willing to lay down the rights to our opinions, we can come in like gangbusters and feel very righteous about it. But you look at the fruit of it and it's a disaster. Where might God be speaking to us to lay down the rights to our opinions? All right, I think there's just two more here. This one might feel odd to you. Hurt, disappointment, and unforgiveness. Should we be healed from hurt? 100%. Be touched by God via our disappointments? Yes. Do we give forgiveness, of course. But do you realize how often we make these things part of our identity? And it's the relinquishing the rights to our being identified in our lives as the victim. So often we can be comfortable saying, well, you know, I'm, well, you know, this happened to me. And that becomes our whole identity versus I'm a son in the house of God. I'm a daughter in the house of God. It doesn't mean we deny these things. But it means have we worked them through in our lives enough that we can say, God, I relinquish the right to being identified as that all the time versus who it is you've made me to be. Look at Jesus here on the cross. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He, in the midst of all this, where he had been really sinned against, was not going to let this thing become his, you know, only part of his story. So it's, this one can be a hard one. And you have to be honest with yourself and say, is there a part of my story that I really like the sympathy? 
I really like the people going, oh, I'm so sorry. That's become so central to us that it feeds and nurtures us that God's going, that's not how I want you to be fed and nurtured. There's other ways to do that. So sometimes it's laying down our rights to kind of being the victim. When I share this in a Youth of the Mission setting, where I, last week I had people from all over the world there, and, you know, like the Europeans, they will come up to me after and say, Dave, I had a 13th one. I said, what was that? And they said, intellectualism. Because they said in our culture, it's the value of intellectualism over faith. That if you can't figure it out from A to Z and put it in some kind of a system, it's not believable. And they said, we realize that, that Jesus has his own system, the kingdom, and that sometimes there are things you have to just walk in faith in. And so they tell me when I was laying my rights down, that was one of them that I added that you didn't have. And different cultures will do that. All right. Here's the last one we'll kind of touch on tonight is our future. Relinquishing your rights to your future. I know for me as a young YWAMer at 18, it was, I had my college career and my career plan, all that. And, and, you know, kind of running into that reality that one night in December of 1977. And, and I remember right where I was and laying that down saying, Jesus, if you never want me to go into this, hands off, palms up and open. And he never has called me back to it. He gave me the marriage part to my wife. But he never gave me that part back. But in a day we're living in with video stuff and all that, I enjoy doing that. But it's never been in a television, you know, this, and this was before the, you know, ESPN days. It was all that. My journalism teacher, when we were all seniors, I was the sports editor of our paper. We had a class of about 600, so our school was big. And she would prophesy, which she wasn't. But it was her way of saying, I think, Shelly, who is our editorial editor, you're going to do that. And Bob, the photographer, you're going to. And she said, Dave, I think if you keep going, within the next 10 to 15 years, you'll be the new host on the Today Show. Oh, is that right? So she was really disappointed when she heard I was going to YWAM. <laughs> and I reached out to her about 13 years ago in 2010, and I just, I sent her, and I found her on Facebook. I thanked her for her investment in my life. And I, when I, she heard that I had written uh, a book. I could tell she took great delight in that because I said, I didn't, I learned some of these things from you and here I am in years later, this is what I've done. And I could tell that was a good thing because she'd made an effort to help me get to the University of Minnesota and she was really hoping I'd pursue journalism and, and television and that kind of thing. And, but I remember that day so clearly, I just laid it down. It was literally like that. I put it down and I never picked it up. And here's the thing you guys have to realize, and I know some of you know this, but when you put something on the altar, it's hot. You can't put it on there and go, oh, oh. And so it's surrender. It's literally, God, I surrender that to you. I take my hands off of that and I'll wait till you want to put something in my hands. Okay. So here's Jesus. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down, this is in Gethsemane, and prayed saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Doctors will tell you today that only happens in like the extremest of stress. And I want you to just consider, I don't know if you've thought about this before, but as I think about Jesus and his future, Jesus, son of God, son of man, he had to be trusting the father that he would be raised. Think about that. We are on the other side. Well, of course he was raised, but, but in that moment, is this part, is it, is what, like, what was he, this will be a good conversation we're having 
a cup of coffee in heaven, right? With Jesus. Hey, could you tell me like, what was that about? You know, was that him thinking about the cross? Because growing up as a little boy, seeing that over and over and over again, was that the, I've never been disconnected for a moment from the father ever. Was that, you know, what was that? Was that, is the father truly going to raise me? I mean, what was that? We don't really know, but it was obviously pretty intense. And so Jesus had to relinquish his rights in that moment to his future. See, these are a dozen core ones. There's others, you know, you might, the Holy Spirit might be nudging you tonight on something that you're realizing, wow, I, you know, that might be an attachment to one of these. Those of you that didn't hear here on the audio, it's, it's the whole relinquishing our rights to safety and security. Yeah, because that's a, that's a big one. You know, it's, you think about things going on in our land right now. And there's, you know, there's, I think we all feel like there's something goofy going on, right? And then when you add things like, you know, people coming in through the borders or other places and there's quietly being sleeper cells all throughout our country that one day we're going to wake up and about every neighborhood is being taken over. I mean, that's okay. We're not there, so we don't have grace for that, right? But it is something that needs to cause us to be aware. You know, right, that Islam produces way more children and there, it's as a purposeful strategy to that, that one day we will just be outnumbered. Yeah. I mean, we have to wake up to some of these realities. We have to realize this isn't a negative thing at all, but just again, a reality that probably somewhere 2035 ish, so only 12 years or so away, we, we may be the largest Hispanic nation in the world. That's, a, that's true. Is there any, there's nothing wrong with that either. It's just a reality that we have to understand. And, you know, our, there's things changing in our nation. And this is where we have to be able to say, Jesus. So for me, we've got a copy of Discipleship Journey that will be out shortly in Spanish. Why? Let's start discipling Spanish people so that if we're led by more Hispanic people, it's maybe even more godly than we have now. Yes, sir. Let's go there, right? Let's bless. Let's serve. Let's let them have godly wisdom. Let them give. But see, if, if we don't relinquish rights to those kinds of things, they can just, you know, uh, where does that fit in to be anxious for nothing, right? See, but see, relinquishing rights, but you know what it is, right? It's that issue that happened in the Garden of Eden called control. And human beings still wrestle with control. And what it is, is just saying, you're in control and I trust you. Pea brain doesn't understand, but I trust you. Okay, and that's all part of it. Okay. Hughes revealing unrelinquished rights, anger and bitterness. If we react in anger, you know, it's often, Hey, that was my bunk. Where, you know, there's, it's the rights. It's my, I had a right to that. I was your first. I was, you know, all that self-pity, you know, poor me. I never get it. They always, you know, and we can go into the poor me mode or there's the control manipulation thing that will control the situation through manipulation so that we don't have to deal with the realities of what's there. Okay. And as I stated to you earlier, whatever rights you don't relinquish to God will subtly drive you. And so it's one of the ways you can kind of tell, okay, I see this thing of got to have a new car, got to have a new car, got to have a new car, got to get a promotion, got to do the, you know, whatever it is driving us. I mean, it, it could be a possession, a person, a position, it could be all kinds of things. So if tonight, like what is the spirit of God kind of with his, you know, elbows lovingly in your ribs, what's he highlighting to you? Okay, if we were to have a time tonight and say, okay, this is now the altar, take out a piece of paper, write down, you know, what, what would you be writing down tonight? 
All right. And so this is an opportunity for you, even this evening, as you go to bed to just stay, even to say, Lord, I, I just want to let you know, I turn these things over to you. I, I want to be available for Jesus and his kingdom. Okay. What's walking healthy look like? So the opposite of this is living palms up, right? We've been talking about that. It's just, okay, God, palms up. I just give this over to you. Okay. It's abounding in thankfulness. It's realizing I'm not owed anything. So whatever comes into my life today that I can be fully present on. Do you realize that if you're not fully present, you don't get the mental, emotional, and relational benefit of it? And you start creating, if some of you feel disconnected, like I should be being impacted by this in a greater way, what's happened is we haven't always been fully present. And we kind of lose an edge of being able to really take that thing in. Like I, uh, it's, it might sound funny to you, but there are moments for me um, around sports events that are, have been fun for me with my kids and grandkids. That if they would look at me and they don't at that moment, but I'm fighting back tears because it's just a fun moment for me. A couple weekends ago, we took our, our grandson, Baron to his first University of Tennessee football game. If any of you have been to a UT game, you know it's quite the college football experience. 103,000 yelling, streaming fans. And it was a checkerboard game, which meant every other section was orange or white. So we had to wear orange and it's a beautiful setting. The power tee opens up from the band with everybody yelling Rocky Top, screaming at the top of their lungs, you know, singing Rocky Top. And, and I'm just looking over at Baron, who's a nine-year-old, and he's just taking this all in. I've been with him before up in, so I grew up in Minnesota, so I'm a diehard Vikings fan, which usually means I die hard every year, except for Monday night. Uh, so when they opened the new stadium up in Minnesota several years ago, I had a brick made. They have a Viking ship that's really cool at the front of the stadium, and the deck is all bricks with the names of Vikings fans on it. And so I put Go Vikings, David, my son Ryan, and Baron Beering. And so when I took Baron up to the game with Ryan, he found his brick with his name on it. See, that's part of discipleship of football, right? Is he, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, so he goes, so he knows where that is. So when we went up for a second year, he knew where, right where to go in the area that he could find his brick. See, and those are precious moments to me because it's something that for me growing up, baseball, basketball, I was like, first time I ever heard God's voice that I can remember. I was 10 years old and in Phoenix, Arizona, they had at all the McDonald's, you know, those uh, bins, barrels that were like this, that you would put cards in, you spin like this. So they had those in all the McDonald's. And if you were 12 and under, you'd write your name on it, stick it in there. And for every one of the 41 home sun games, they would pick out 10 kids to come to the game. I won that. And then when you show up at the game about an hour early, they picked two out of the 10 out of the hat to be an official bench warmer. And you sat on the bench with the team for the game. I go down there. I'm, you know, one of the 10. And that night, I like, it's the first time I ever remember an impression from the Lord. I felt when I went to bed that like, the Lord said, you will be on that bench tomorrow night. And I was like, what was that? I didn't hear anything here. It was just here. So when they first picked the one, first one was a young girl. And so she was going to make, so there was one of, you know, it was eight of us left. And when they picked my name, I just remember thinking it was my first kind of connect and sitting on that bench. And so sports has always played a fun role in my life, whether playing it or being in these things. So when I'm with my kids and grandkids and there's kind of a memorable moment, a last minute win, I find myself like I'm so enriched by the fun of the moment and being present and they get to do this with me. I find myself fighting back tears, but I realize I do that because I'm present. I'm being present. 
Everything else in my life is shut out except for being in that moment with them. And if you don't do that, you don't get the fullness of that impact mentally, emotionally, spiritually, relate all of that. You got to be present. Okay. So it's abounding in gratitude for the, and then it's stewarding the areas of obedience. Like what has God asked me to do? So that's kind of what, like if we're saying, what does the opposite look like? It's palms up, abounding in gratitude or thankfulness and stewarding what God has asked you to steward. Okay. So let me just open it up. We just have a few minutes left, but for questions. And do you understand why this is so important in discipleship today? Like if you don't teach this, it leaves a whole category out of surrender. It's an expression of lordship that makes it real practical. Like, What does lordship really look like? Okay. Questions. What things maybe are on your mind here? That So the question is, what, what happens when you're in a setting or a church that is very different than maybe what you're hearing or maybe you would hope it to be? You would like it to be, yeah. So for me on that, it is that same thing because here's the thing. And those of you that were in our first session today, you, you heard me share that Shell and I will do prayer retreats where we'll seek the Lord. So it's once we've sought the Lord and we know where we're supposed to be, we're good, regardless of what happens. And so it's settling because it's like, I know the Lord could change assignment, but I'm not going to sit there, you know, sweating it out or asking him to, I just going to, we're going to be faithful with where he's planted us. And I would also say for me, it's like, how can I, I know the great commission is true. I know we're supposed to make disciples. So how in my neck of the woods is God asking me to do that? So that's where I go and I ask that question. Sometimes when we're dealing with, like I was in Cleveland in September with a church that is beginning to move towards disciple making. I love it when the senior pastor is on it because you can go so much further, so faster. So I don't know if you, so bring me back to, to this here in a minute, but I don't know that you know this. I don't know that the story gets told very often anymore, but the very first meeting that we had was in January 15 and Bobby here in this church in the other building over here brought in uh, 10 of us who were disciple makers. Gabe was here. I was here. A guy named Bill Hull, who is an incredibly godly man, respected guy. Jim Putman. Some of you've met Jim from prior things. There were others, 10 of us. And one of the things he asked us to do is he said, when you come, would you all be thinking of what do you think the greatest hindrance is in the United States to disciple making? On the second day ever together, he had the sticky pads on the wall. And he said, okay, let's open this. Bill Hull opens it up with this salvo. He says, I think we're trying to disciple people in our churches who aren't even saved. If the spirit of God is in them, change can't happen. I mean, that was like the starting point is like, wow, okay. <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, and then, you know, it kept going. Well, when we were done, Bobby said, okay, now lay down your opinion and your thought, which was good by the way, but what are we saying? The 10 of us. And here's what it was. The greatest hindrance to disciple making in our country is senior pastors. And, and many of us had myself included served in that role. And here's what was meant. And this is a fact, 80 to 90% of senior pastors in America right now have never been discipled. That's a fact. And so because of that, everything gets relegated to the education department or somebody else. Okay. Our former senior pastor came to me 2013 or 14 and said, Dave, I was never discipled. I love what you do. I'm with you in it. But he said, I don't know how to do this. And I said, tell me why. He said, the guy that discipled me which is a pretty well-known figure, discipled him. He said, every time I came to him as like a former drug addict that was now in a Bible college, and I asked him a question, he gave me the same answer. I said, I'm not following you. What do you mean he gave you the same answer? It was the same answer every time. I said, what was it? Just go read your Bible more. And so this 
dear friend of mine is a machine in the word. He truly is. But he just said, I don't know how to do this. That's not uncommon. I will meet, particularly those that are, I would say, 45 and older that I meet, they will look at me and say, Dave, I don't know how to do this. And it's because they'll say, nobody did it for me. Do you know that in seminaries, there's not even a disciple making 101 course? It's not there. It's just not there. And so I, so please don't use what I just said against a senior pastor. Just be aware and have compassion and realize if you're in a setting, it's like coming alongside of them to be able to say, how could I help you in disciple? You know, this is part of what I do. How could I help you with that? See? And oftentimes in churches, when I'm invited in, I look for this. It's like, where is that already happening? Is it in the youth? Is it with women? Is it with men? Is it with couples? Who is doing? And if none of them are, then you usually we pick one. There's a church up in Pittsburgh we worked with where the men went nuts with it. So much so the senior pastor got on the phone and called me and said, hey, what have you done with our men? We need our church to do this, right? And so you run into those kinds of things. So you just look where the life is. Where's the hunger? And, you know, this is not a disciple-making course, but it's, let me just close this by saying, you know, look around you within your sphere of influence. If you're in a situation like he's, Scott's described, and ask this question, in whose ears are my words big? Let me say that again. In whose ears are my words big? In other words, in whose ears do my words actually have weight? They actually listen, do it, and come back for more. That is the Holy Spirit. I don't want you to miss this. You say, I don't even like them. I don't want you to miss this. This is the Holy Spirit giving you unique favor to speak into their life. Change it into a disciple-making relationship. Okay? Pay attention. In whose ears are your words big? Yeah. 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 It's like the reality is we all wish our words could be like anyone in this room. You might say, I wish my words were really big with the president. I'd like to mention a few things to him or the governor or the mayor, whatever the case may be, right? But if you don't have that relationship, you can't do that. But you do have relationships and you have to realize that if you try to speak into someone's life where you don't have that favor, it's not going to go well. So start with, where do I have favor? And you might think, oh man, the only one I can think of is my younger brother and he's kind of a pain in the rear end. But what if younger brother, 30 years from now, is known as the Hudson Taylor of Iran and has Iran being the most Christian nation in the world because what God poured through him. And it all came because you discipled pain in the rear end brother, who's no longer a pain in the rear end. He's a pain in the devil's rear end, all right? Because you poured into him. So it's a starting point when you're in those kind of settings to say, okay, how could I contribute to the Great Commission where I am? Because you might be the fire starter, right? You might be the torchbearer. Are you guys tracking with me on this? So I just want to encourage you, the best way to get it is for you to respond first to the Lord. And it will help you. But just know that people you're discipling sometimes, this is where they're stuck. They're, there's one of these rights they're just hanging on to. And so that's where I often talk, I can't, you can't do this. And you just have to kind of pray for them and help them see, hey, it looks to me like you're hanging on to this future thing a little too tight. You've got your whole future plan for the next 40 years. Have you considered God may have a different plan? See? All right. So tomorrow morning, just so you guys know, we're going to deal with spiritual warfare. How do we understand that? How do we help disciple people in it? Kind of a fun, practical way. And then our second session tomorrow will be on sh how do we help shape the next generation? Okay. Like 20s and 30s, that kind of thing. Okay. So Jesus, thank you for tonight. 
Thank you that you are the ultimate picture of relinquishing rights. Help us, Lord, to look more like you in this area and help us to know how to lead others in this area as you do us. Lord, would you give us grace and peace as we go, safety as we travel, and a good night's sleep. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to the episode, everybody. Up next, we've got more from Dave and Lionshare, so make sure you hit the subscribe button to this channel so you know when I release it. And also, we have some video content up on our website. I'm going to drop a link in the show notes. This is video content from the city tour that happened here in Nashville. So you can go watch some of those videos that we have turned into podcast episodes here. If you'd like to go do that or watch it as a church or watch it as a church staff, whatever you like to do, go there. You just enter your email and we will give you those videos. All right, y'all. Thank you so much for being a listener and a supporter of the Disciple Makers podcast. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you.